Here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Absolutely. All right, as we take Colossians 3 and 4, let's just kind of summarize what did when we came the first month, when we came in June, what did Paul want us to know? He wanted us to know that he's writing to this little church that probably was started by Epaphras. He's never been there. He's never met these people, but they know him. He's heard about them. They obviously know about Paul. But Epaphras has been telling Paul about this church, and he's telling them that the gospel has really clicked with them, and they believe it with all their heart, and the proof is it's coming out in faith and in love and in hope. And Paul encourages them so much by saying, oh, I just thank the Lord that that I'm hearing these things. But then remember, as as he kind of always brings everything back to our salvation, because it does, it always goes back to our personal salvation. And that is the fundamental truth. That's why it's so, so um, dangerous. I, I believe that Epaphras went to Paul in Rome and said, oh, we've got a great little church here, and it is really working, and it's really clicking, but, but we've got some false teachers that are coming in here. And I'm so afraid that these people are going to get caught up in that because, let's, let's face it, false teachers are slick. They say what our itching ears want to hear. They have a tendency to kind of meet us where we might even, if we're not grounded in God's word, and we might even say things like, well, you know, I know I learned it this way, but I kind of like their version because then I don't have to feel so guilty. I don't have to feel so convicted. You know, they know how to distort the truth just enough to make someone turn the course, turn off the, turn off the main road. And so Paul is saying, I've got to make sure you know that, yes, the gospel is the most important your choice in receiving the gospel, making it yours, is the most important. But then if you think that's enough, if you think that that's all you need to do, remember, we said, let's, let's say it this way. Receiving Jesus as our Savior is step number one. It is the first step. It is the ultimate. But step number two, Paul is saying, if you don't stay in this, if you don't, remember last month we talked words like rooted, built up, strengthened in your faith, with thanksgiving. In other words, we've got to keep this growing. We've got to keep working at this because if we get lack, if we think that, that our Bibles, you know, oh, I know this, I, I'll be fine. That's so incredibly dangerous. So Paul makes it very clear. He also made it clear last month that then in case you, you start to think that you've got this all together, you don't, you don't stay humble before the cross, you don't stay clinging to Jesus, 
You can even you can fall into the trap of legalism and the danger of almost putting works before your faith. Or you're adding, oh, we need Jesus, but oh boy, remember the strike told you, but you better you better never step on this this platform again because you you don't deserve to be on here. You know, when I heard that, when I heard you're not wearing the right robe, because in this particular church, if you're going to go on the platform, you have to wear this collar and this robe. And to be accused and have the finger in my face saying, you will never sing here again. Why, because I'm not good enough? Because I don't fit your criteria with what I look like or... But to know, and especially like tonight too, you're, we're going to hear the words about that clothe yourself with righteousness. And you're going to see that that robe of righteousness that he gives us on the day of our salvation has nothing to do with color. Even though it's called the white robe of righteousness, Paul in this lesson tonight, he's going to describe what it looks like when you're wearing the right clothes. So that's why tonight it's step number three. I think it's really, he's really gotten it through their heads. And of course, we make God's word relevant. I'm sure that when Paul wrote this, remember the first month I said to you that I I really feel that when Paphos came to Paul and said, boy, we've got trouble here. We've got people coming in saying that, oh no, the deity of Christ, oh no. He can't possibly be the son of God and the son of man. And if you don't realize that that is your fundamental stand if you don't believe that he's the son of God because he's the one that left heaven to become the son of man because the father would only accept a blood sacrifice he has to be both and you've got these people coming in and just making a story sound so good I can I, I, could, I, I could hear Paul say Get me a pencil. Get me a pencil. Obviously, he can't leave the place. He's in chains. But he could say, get me a pencil. And out comes this compassionate, concerned letter. And with that kind of intensity, he's saying to you and me, do you understand these steps, how important these steps are, that you can't put one before the other. There is step one, and that is your and my salvation. Salvation is found in none other. There is no other name other than the name of Jesus that we can be saved. Step number two is, do you want to get to know him? Do you hunger and thirst for more knowledge, more wisdom? Because he said, that's what I pray for you. I pray for you that you will understand that you will have more knowledge, that you will have more wisdom because that will keep you from buying into nonsense. 
It will keep you from crumbling when you start experiencing life and you might have thought, oh, come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Maybe you're deluded with something like that. He says, you have got to know the truth. You have got to know the truth. It's so easy to ponder things And I love to ponder things, but I've seen that it's dangerous when I ponder on things that I don't know for sure, that it's not necessarily truth. And if I keep myself on that too long. But when we ponder on God's word, and we believe that every word is true, when you take the time, it is rich knowledge, it's rich wisdom, And then you start believing and you'll start to see that the roots of your spiritual walk are going deeper and deeper. You will see that you are being built up and strengthened, that you're not a pushover. And I loved it when he said, and he's going to say it again tonight, with thanksgiving. When was the last time you realized, I am so thankful for this gospel because my life without it I mean, you fill in the blank. My life without it. So ponder that. But now we start tonight's lesson. Because this is step three. And that's why in chapter three, he starts with these words, since then. Since then. Or if then. I think King James uses the word if that. And what he's saying basically in, in either version or whatever version you have, he's saying because you've, you've experienced step one and because now you understand step two that this is something you have to work at every day. That you can't get lax. Because I always say you got two ears. And when I say two ears, I can, I always like with Proverbs too, I can either be listening to folly, that's what Solomon said it is, when we listen to what we want to hear and we want to hear our own self. And, and believe me, it's no effort at all to listen to folly and listen to our own self. Or do we want to listen to God's spirit? And that is a conscientious choice that you and I have to make. Who do I want to hear? And it's not complicated because it's either you want to hear you or you want to hear him. So he's saying, okay, if then you've experienced step one and two, then this is something very serious. You cannot think that it isn't. You cannot think that your behavior is not important. It's like this chapter, Paul is coming down on saying, this is Christian living. This is how he expects. This is what he deserves. This is what he wants us to look like. So since then, you have been raised with Christ. It's like he wanted to repeat that because last week or last month we talked about, you know, picture this. It's like our old nature. 
that Paul describes that we should hate. He says it's like going under. It's like you put, you put that old nature under. And if you want to think about it as water, I think it's a beautiful analogy. You take your old nature and you just put it under the water. And you die to that old nature. Because then what's raised up, that's not the end of the story. That, that death of self, no. The rest of the story is that you come out of the water raised up alive in Christ. And that's where all the pieces come together of, you know, the verses that Paul, he, he, he writes like this. He writes so many verses like, it is no longer I that lives, it's Christ who lives in me. He's the one that writes that because he experienced it. Death to self and alive in Christ. And so Paul is saying, okay, because you've experienced step one and two. Now I want you to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I mean, of course, I don't want to raise a hand or anything, but it's for my own benefit too. I mean... Can you honestly say that at least once a day and hopefully 10 times a day, maybe even 100 times a day, all of a sudden you picture him at the right hand of God the Father. You picture your Savior there. You picture your Savior taking, taking all authority. And you set your mind on, oh, that's right, Revelation said, Revelation said someday, and what a day that's going to be, but someday there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and I will never cry again. I will never have to say bye again. I don't even need a light switch anymore. I mean, you know, you can't help but go back and look at that or think about that. And Paul says, I guarantee you, if you set your heart on things above or you set your minds on things above, see, he said them both. Set your heart and set your mind. Those are two things that control you and I. What's in our heart and what's in our mind is what controls us. So he said, because of your salvation and because of your need to stay growing and staying humble before the cross, humble before him, knowing you can't do it without him and his spirit that is so graciously given us so we don't have to walk this walk alone, that we have another voice to listen to besides our own. So he says, set your heart, set your mind on things above. Think about, think about it once in a while. And you watch how that picks you up. How that all of a sudden, because Paul knows that life is filled with disappointments, with sadness, with self-pity. And the list goes on and on. And those things can take you and I so down 
And he said, okay, step one, step two. And if you are listening to the Spirit, he's telling you to set your heart and your mind on things above. And you think about the truth of what he's taught you. He kind of repeats verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. That little phrase there, because how often haven't you heard people say, music is her life. Or you've heard, oh, sports is his life. Or his job is his life. And you cannot help but see that this is, this is what Paul wants us to check to see how much of the things of this earth are our life more. Because he says, because Christ, if you really know Christ, he is your life. And when he appears, because he, he's going to, he's going to appear And then, if this doesn't rev your battery, I don't know what does, he's going to appear, and you and I, because of the since then, because of step one and two in our lives, when he appears, we're coming with him. Then you also will appear with him in glory. So he kind of starts the first four verses with just like, do you realize what you've got? Do you realize that you have to make a choice on where, what you're going to fill your heart and your mind up with? How much do you think about him and what he's done for you? And then verse five, then, oh boy, does he start. He starts tough. And he starts with language we can understand. He says, all right then, put to death. That, that's strong, put to death. That means take the life right out of it so that there is no chance for you to play with it, stew on it, ponder on it, because it's only, only going to take you into a bad place. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul understands this because he's human just like you and I, and he knows the fight. And so what he's going to talk about here is our greatest fight, is our fight with S-E-L-F. That's our greatest fight. We think it's the devil, but I think it's even worse. Because the devil loves to use self. But self, when our eyes get on ourselves. So he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he starts listing it. And I had to smile the first thing he listed. This has been a problem since probably Genesis 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, all these sins that he mentions all pertain to make me feel good. This is what I want. I really don't care if I hurt someone along the way, or I don't, 
I've, I'm so conscientious about what I'm doing for me that I don't really much care. Or I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think that there would be consequences. And, you know, sexual immorality, it's anything, it's anything done outside of marriage. It's the misuse of sex. And we know in this day and age, wow, sexual immorality. And he says, put to death those things. And why do you think he's doing that? Because he's so stern. I mean, no, because he loves us and he knows that those sins will lead to hurt and pain and damage. So he says, put to death impurity and lust and evil desires. And I think sometimes we, we kind of gloss over that evil desire. So I don't, I don't have a desire that's evil. Well, if it's a desire that's all about you, that's evil. And then, of course, greed. And he says, which all of these things, when it's all about you, that's idolatry. Because that must be the first thing in your life. That must be your top priority. I don't know, maybe you've seen this before, but I saw it for the first time this morning when I was talking this morning. I never saw that. Look, look what the first letter is of idolatry. That explains it right there. And all of a sudden I saw it. Idolatry is when I'm sitting on the throne and I want what I want at the expense of a whoever. And Paul says, you've got to put that to death. Because that kind of testimony, that has no place in the life of a Christian. And then, and then he goes on, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's pretty tough talk. Because I think what Paul is saying, that a real believer... A real believer is not comfortable in habitual sin. A real believer, I know we all make mistakes, but I hope you and I are to the point where when I blow it, I feel it and I hate it. That I win my way instead of his. When I put me first, so when he says, because, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You cannot keep living in sin and you purposely know what you're doing and you thumb your nose to it. And you call yourself a Christian when you can say, well, I like to do it. I want to do it. I really, I know I'm stepping on a limb here, but I just don't think that in the heart, in the life of a Christian, if you've experienced since then, that you can just thumb your nose in Jesus' face and say, oh, I like it. Makes me feel good. Because he says, you know what? 
You keep doing that, you're going to experience the wrath of God. And I think we've learned that none of us want to experience that. Verse 7, you, you used to walk in these ways. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I never was that bad. The first part of my testimony when I tell people, it's, 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 it's similar to Paul's a little bit, and it's so sad because I purposely, I really did think that because of my credentials, I was pretty good. My testimony, because remember when Paul said, here are my credentials, they'll blow you away. I mean, so important. I, from the tribe of Benjamin, uh, I graduated top of my class. I studied under Amelia. I mean, I mean, he just listed all of the things that human nature would look at and say, wow. And then you know as well as I do what Paul said. And you know what I've learned? I've learned to count that off for nothing. I've come to see that my testimony is that I preach Jesus and am crucified. So sometimes I will say to people, I was a good church kid. I didn't cause my folks any trouble. I sang for children's Bible hour. A lot of, lot of credentials. But my testimony continues because the greatest part of my testimony is when I realized, and I can see it, I can, I can feel it yet today, when all of a sudden it dawned on me, I was one of the all for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I don't think I thought that before. And then when I realized because you're going to see how Paul just lumps all of us in the same boat because we all need a Savior. And then verse 8. But now, but now you must. That doesn't sound like you have a choice, does it? This sounds like one of those things that if you, if you want to wear Christ on your back and label yourself as a follower of him. I think this chapter, he is very firm. I think this chapter is very convicting. He said, you cannot play both sides. You have to put to death those things that are causing you to just concentrate on self and you don't care about anybody else. But you, all, you also must get rid of things that I think a lot of us, even though we know we shouldn't level sin, we do. We think that these sins that he's going to say next, we, have to, we must rid of them. It has to do with our mouth. It has to do with what we say. And so often we think we can just kind of fool and people and we can, these aren't, it's, Oh, who's going to know? If I backstab somebody, I'm only telling her. I'm not telling everybody. So who's going to know? Oh, we start believing that they're not so bad. Oh, I, I don't think language can get any more severe. But now, step one, step two, since then, 
all right now, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Stop it. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You know, that word lie. You know, there's so much that goes under that umbrella of lie. I mean, there's that blatant lie. But then we've, I think sometimes we've even convinced ourselves that, well, it's really not a lie. It's just a little fib. It's, it's, it's just not a full-fledged, it's just a little. Or let me tell you that sometimes a lie, it's any time you distort the truth. So that's exaggerating, manipulating. Sometimes it can even be the choice of words, your tone. Sometimes it can even be silent. Why well, can be silent if it if it misleads? You know what that can mean? It can mean that there's some people that think. Well, I didn't get caught, so it's not that it's not serious. It's only serious if they catch me in it. A lie is when you know, and even though maybe everybody else doesn't know, you are lying. So when he says these words, do not lie to each other. Why? Because you're not the same anymore. The old you drowned. It's put to death. And out came a new self. Which, okay, see, that's step one. And then step two is, which we must be renewing. We've got to constantly be renewing. And how do we renew ourselves every day? How do we revive ourselves in a day and age like we live in that can take us down so quick and with the power of self? How can we renew ourselves, revive ourselves? Well, he tells us being renewed in knowledge. It's, it's when you want more of this book. You want to know him better. being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You want to know him better because you know what happens when you get to know him better? You get more rooted. You start feeling your spiritual life being built up more. You find that you're strong and you can stand up for the truth. And you find you're far more thankful. You find that you have an attitude check because you know of what you would be Without that, that changes everything. And this is the verse I was talking about, verse 11. Here there is no Greek when it comes to this message. 
There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. I looked that up. I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew what that was. But what a word picture when I looked it up. It's a warrior on a horse that's rude, ignorant, and loves to degrade. So it's pretty much a pathetic person. So I love the way Paul just incorporates you fit in there somewhere. Slave or free, just know Christ is all and is in all. And there isn't a one of us, no matter what our background is, no matter who we are, what we've achieved, or that's what unifies us. As unique as we are, what unifies us all is that we have this common denominator and his name is Jesus. And without him, we're lost. And we're hellbound. Therefore, therefore, now that you know that, as God's chosen people, what a title. That should be your most favorite title that you're one of God's chosen. You're one of his children. And as one of his chosen people, holy, dearly loved. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm reading that over and over and I'm thinking, we've got to sing Jesus loves me. This I know. Because I've sung it since I was two. But there, right there in God's word, it just proved to me. His word just told me I'm dearly loved. Clothe yourself. Paul's so descriptive. It's just like in Ephesians 6. Put on. You have to do your part. He does not dress you. You have got to decide what kind of clothes you're going to... You have to decide if you're going to put on that full armor of God. You've got to decide if you're going to clothe yourself with that white robe of righteousness. And I told you, this is what it looks like when you're wearing the right clothing. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Ooh, that would definitely make us look different to the world. And he's not done yet. And I think it gets even harder. He says, bear with each other. I love the way he says it. It's pretty much saying, and you're going to meet people that are not always too lovable. And it's going to be hard for you to stomach them. So he says, I want you to bear. I want you to bear. I want you, if you want to know how you're going to bear that unlovable person, well, take a walk to the cross again because you weren't looking so good. You weren't too lovable either. And while you were yet a sinner, he died for you anyway. That will help you and I to bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Is that easy? 
to to forgive and then not to carry the grievance. Oh my goodness, did I, I need Colossians this summer. And I hope you can say the same in your own personal way. There was a section of this that just got to you. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all, over all these virtues, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians 13 too, doesn't he? Of all the beautiful virtues there are, like compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, beautiful virtues. But over all of these virtues, put on love. And that's just not that simple, little fuzzy, emotional kind of love. He's saying it's the kind of love that you got to dig your heels in and you love when they are not lovable. The same way Jesus loves you and I. Because you know what that kind of love does? It binds us together. Instead of pushing apart, instead of dividing Look how big this chapter is. Christians should get along. And he goes on by saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. You're sitting with a group of people or maybe just one. And yeah, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of garbage. There's a lot of stuff that maybe you're holding on to. He said, no, you're, you're called to peace. And be thankful that you have a choice. You don't have to be like that. Instead of letting self and your human emotions take over, you can let the Spirit of God take over you. And how does that happen? Because that is not easy either. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Sometimes I looked up the word admonish and sometimes that's a a rebuke or that's a warning. And sometimes there's times that we need to do that. But let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So as you teach, or whether you have to kind of lower the boom, that you do it with one another, with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, don't you appreciate that, that Paul put that in there, that music is such a gift, and it is... There are so many times that a song, even maybe in your darkest part of the day or you're going through a real struggle, but because of his grace, he will plant a song. And you know what I saw here? He likes all versions of music. So get over it. (laughs) That's what I saw. He says, so if you like the Psalter hymnal, 
you go sing the psalms. If you like hymns, sing the hymns. It's just between you and him anyway. And if you like any other kind of spiritual song, whatever rocks your boat, that will wake you up so that you realize, new song's out right now. I'm not going to say who wrote it because it's not important. And I don't want to elevate the person because I know this person wouldn't want to be elevated. But boy, did he write a lyric. He said, he changed my name. He changed my name. And you know what he changed our name from and to? He, he changed our name from too far gone. And what did he change our name to? Saved by grace. That's in a lyric of a song. And let me tell you, you cannot hear that and put yourself into that phrase and think, he changed my name. He changed everything in step number one. He changed me from too far gone, basically. On my own, too far gone. Only he could make me a sinner, saved by grace. Oh, I'll always be a sinner. But what a difference when he changed it to saved by grace. So pick your song. Pick your style. But he's saying, use it to keep you grounded. Because music is a gift. And it could it can turn you from heaven a pretty miserable, worthless waste of a day. And, it, and that's why he says, you'll seek gratitude. Because the reality of the truth of what he's done for you and I can be that powerful. And it can change everything that day. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. But he, he doesn't give you any wiggle room, room, does he? He's saying, no, but for 10 minutes on the hour, you can do what you want. No, he pretty much says, and whatever you do, whatever you do 24 hours of the day, whatever you do, whatever you're thinking, whatever, whatever, whatever. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and see if that doesn't change. If that doesn't do something to you. Giving thanks to God the Father through him because none of your salvation, none of your spiritual growth, none of your righteous behavior would be possible without him. Then he kind of gets in you know, we've had many sermons on this, so I don't think I have to spend too much time, but, but yet he's very, he's pretty blunt. He's pretty blunt. He's pretty much showing us that there needs to be an order. There has to be, especially in the family, there's got to be an order. But 
Did you notice that it doesn't, he doesn't tell us this until we've had chapters one and two and half a three. That's why his order is so perfect because now that you and I are grounded in chapters one, two, and, and first half of three, he's saying, okay. Because I think there's a lot of women, if he would have started Colossians 1 by saying, I, Paul, tell you women to submit to your husbands. Boy, we'd come up with our dupes. We'd have a tendency to say, oh, hold on here. I read, I read a, a little um, article this week that kind of helped me put it in, you know, in the military, if you're a private, that's pretty much kind of the low on the totem pole. But do you know that there are privates in the military that are smarter and more talented and more intellectual than even the general? But I don't think they ought to tell them, do you? I mean, you know, it, it comes down to that where even though they might be smarter, more talented, more gifted than the general. You, the general is still the general. You've got to know your place. And sometimes it's just, a, it's not a matter of that, that wives are to submit because they're not as smart, they're not as gifted, they're not as talented. You do it because God set the order. And when you work, when you're both working together as a team, I mean, I know Tom. Tom knows he's the president of our organization here. But he said to me a few times, but I know you're more talented or gifted in this area, so I'm putting you in charge. Of a certain thing, which, which, and when you work as a team, don't you want the one? Because he can do things that I can do, and I can do things that he can do. And when you work together, there's no level. But yet, God says, I've got to have an order here. Or if all of you think you're Indian chiefs, we got a mess. And then he says, and he comes back and then says, and husbands, you need to love your wives. And it doesn't have to do necessarily with emotion. He's instructing husbands to love their wives with such a love that when they have a crabby day or when they are not lovable or let's say it's a little tense in the marriage for a while for whatever reason, you love her anyway. Because that's what teamwork does. Husbands, you love your wives because you put yourself aside because then love just puts her first. See, if the two are working together as a team, these verses are, are not even squabble. You don't even squabble over them because it just makes such good sense. And then he moves to children. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. 
I just wish this was Todd more. I can see the deterioration in the home. I can see the deterioration in relationships. I can see that children are not understanding this. Obey, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. I wonder how many kids know that. That when they obey their parents, they're pleasing the Lord. And that matters to them. Because it's part of the order that he set up. Now, I think the majority of us, we understand that when our children are little. Man, how many times don't I wish I could take my big boys and make them little again so that I could say, sit, let me comb your hair. I, I could do, you dress like this, you do, you say this. I mean, when they were little, that's what parents did. And they obey you because that's how they learn. But I think the majority of us, I mean, I look at my almost 50-year-olds, and if I say to them, in the context of, now you sit there, or I tried that. I've tried that, and they just look at me and laugh. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, that they're not part of this verse anymore. They're still children. So even though they don't have to obey my sit there, let me comb your hair, they do have to honor and respect me. Because I'm their mom. Tom's their dad. That doesn't change. And it's one of those commandments that are not suggestions. He expects this. But fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I know, I know sometimes you think, well, you know, really, what, what, does that, what does that mean, you know? Sometimes, sometimes I, think, I think dads can get like this maybe a little bit, maybe more than moms, but they have a tendency to just, you know, it's just the way they are to provoke them by being maybe a little too harsh, a little too demanding, a little too controlling, a little bit too unforgiving, and you're just plain mad. And that can get out of control. Words. I think that was, I think Paul said, be careful, just watch out on that. Slaves obey your earthly masters and everything. And do it not only when their eyes on you and do in their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not men. See, this is another thing. I, I just wish people would study this chapter more because you can't help but see the deterioration of the work ethic. You can't help but see it. They will do just what they need to do to get by. I know that's not every kid. There's some real dolls. But for the majority. And so sometimes I think when we see slaves and earthly masters, I know that can open a whole different can of worms, but we know that Christians 
helped abolish slavery. So I think we can look at this and rightfully put employees, employers, because, you know, a lot of times when we work, that's a big part of our lives. That's a big chunk of our day. And so what, what kind of attitude, what kind of job are we doing? How often don't we hear about competition and, and then um, such uh, jealousy and division if someone gets elevated and all that. But if everybody did the job they were hired for and they did it as they were doing it for the Lord, don't you think that would make a difference? on how jobs are done. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, Paul puts it in there saying, you know, maybe your employer doesn't see your value. Or maybe your employee, maybe your fellow employees, they're just hard to get along with. Or maybe you don't get that raise or that promotion or whatever. Paul sticks this in there saying, come on, you know that the Lord sees it all. And he is a just God. And look what he writes in verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. We have a tendency to think that they're getting away with it. And he says, they're not. So you just keep doing your job the best you can. You're doing it for me, and I will give you the reward, and I will take care of the wrong. Masters, employers, provide your workers with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, I don't care how big you've gotten yourself. I don't care if you, your name is on the building. I don't care if you are the highest on the rung of power. You got a boss. You have got a boss. And then he kind of wraps up and closes this letter. Because especially this chapter, because it is difficult to do. When we're fighting self, chapter three is hard to do but he's made it very clear this is the behavior he expects. But to death, you must rid yourself of. I, I can't make it any simpler and plainer than what the Spirit gave to Paul. So I couldn't do it. And in verse 2, I think he pretty much says, how? This is the only way you're going to be able to do it, is devote yourselves in prayer. Devote. That means continue earnestly. And we have talked about prayer enough that you know prayer isn't just, it's a part of it, but it's not all of it. Prayer, again, is like the word lie. There's so many things underneath it. But prayer is a big umbrella with so many Part of prayer is when you have that time where you close your eyes and fold your hands and you talk to the Lord. But 
prayer is so much more than that because Paul says we are never to not be praying. So what does that mean? Devote yourselves in staying connected to God's spirit. Stay devoted. Continue earnestly working your step number two so that you keep knowing you've got to stay connected to him. That's the only way. It's only the Holy Spirit's power that's going to be able to get you to do that. Devote yourselves to prayer. Staying connected. Being vigilant. Being watchful and thankful. Be watching for that old self creeping in. Oh, and it's sneaky. So devote yourselves to staying connected. Don't blow it off saying, oh, I'm fine. Oh, no. You be watchful knowing that self sneaks in there way too easily. And again, he says, be thankful. Thankful that you've got a choice. That yes, yeah, you can choose yourself and then suffer the consequences or be thankful that you can stay connected because you've been to the cross because you know what he said and what it takes. Be thankful that you have his spirit that can do in you what you cannot do for yourself. But this, these next words just show Paul's heart, a heart that's been worked over. I mean, you follow his letters, you follow the book of Acts, you, you know what he's been through. And he, not once, when he says, and pray for us too, I mean, I don't think you and I would have thought any, anything of it if he would have said, and pray, and pray for me that, um, that I can get out of this, that, um, that I can be a little more comfortable. That Because really, how many of our prayers have got something like that in there? Lord, just make me so that, that this can go away so I can be happy again, that I can be comfortable, that this is what I want. Look what he is asking for. Look what's the most important to him. He's first of all saying, pray for us. And he's going to name a lot of those men, his team. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for a message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. There is nothing about his physical being. Pray that as long as I'm given breath, no matter where I am, whatever state I'm in, that I'm content to make sure the gospel is preached and that it's preached Clearly, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then verse 5, it's like it kind of comes out of nowhere. He says, in his further instructions, he's talking to you and I and he's saying, I'm putting you out there. 
and be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. My phrase is, you got to love people to Jesus. Well, I get that because Jesus said, I didn't even come to condemn. And yet we're so good with his finger. And you better, and you should, and you ought. And So he just kind of puts a warning there. Be careful. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Are you, by your lifestyle, are you, or by what you say, are you going to push them farther away? Or by who you are and what you say and how you act? Are you a drawing factor? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And I love the way he continues to sense, you've been given this opportunity. It's not a coincidence. He plunked you right there in the middle of that situation or those people or whatever. And don't blow it. You make the most of this opportunity. Lay your conversation. Let your words, let your conversation be always full of grace. And again, if you have a hard time with that, if you have a hard time with your conversation not being filled with undeserved favor, then take another little walk to the cross and see what grace did for you. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. My first couple weeks doing this, and I saw that phrase, I, I couldn't help but smile because I like salt so much, I confess. I'm one of those kind, I don't even have to taste it first, it just gets salted. That's so, offen- that's so offensive to your host. So, and I apologize for that. So that kind of made me smile. Season with salt. And I'm thinking, good, see? Make Jesus taste good. Because that's what salt does to me. Salt makes the food taste good. So season your conversation with salt. Make Jesus taste good to the people. That they like what they're hearing. That they like what they're seeing. But then... This last week when I was walking, it's like I I could hear the Lord say, true, but there's more. Season your conversation with salt. And I couldn't help but think, have you ever had salt go on an open wound? Sting like crazy. He's saying, there's sometimes... When you can't be a pushover, and if conversation is on a level that is not truth, it is so against God's principles. It goes against, if I agree with this, I am not wearing the the white robe of righteousness right now. There's times when you have to speak up, and it might sting a little. But if it's truth, you and I should never have to back away from truth. Even if it makes that person, because it stings so, they'll come at you. And you might hear a few choice things. 
but when you seasoned it with salt. Because what does Jesus say? You need to be the light. You need to be the salt. I'm sure that's why Paul wrote that. So that you may know how to answer everyone. You know God's word. And you dare stand on it, even if it stinks. Then in the final, in the final verses, I know, I know there's so many people that get to that and they think, well, this isn't so important. Oh, I just love this. Because these, these particular, these particular people, if this doesn't show that we need each other, I don't know what does. Paul was not a bit embarrassed to state his circumstances, to state the fact that he can't go and help them in the physical realm. So he's got himself a team. And there's not one of these people, except one, unfortunately, one of these people that decided to go the way of themselves, became selfish, wanted to put themselves at the head of the line. Otherwise, every other person in this part of chapter 4, they didn't need credit. They didn't ask to be mentioned. But they were valuable to Paul. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's Look, look how Paul describes him. He's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. Can't wait to meet him someday, can you? He said, I'm sending him to you for the, for, for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. See, we need each other. And sometimes I can write you a letter, but I'm going to send him because he'll be right there in front of you. And he'll tell the word of God to you, and it will be encouraging. He's coming with someone else. He's coming with Onesimus. I looked him up. Onesimus used to be a slave in Colossae for whatever reason. He was a slave. Maybe he worked himself out of being slave to freedom. I don't know. We really don't know the details. All we know is that he was once a slave. But this should just prove to you that Paul, when he's a slave or free, he, he never intended to elevate certain people. When it comes to Christ, Calvary's got the level ground for all of us. Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, I'm sending him back to you, not as a prisoner, not as a slave anymore. I'm sending him back as one of you. That's what the gospel can do. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, so that description, my fellow prisoner, and he sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Maybe they've heard the story that Paul and Mark didn't get along too good. 
maybe, maybe they heard that, boy, was there a doozy of a disagreement. Maybe they heard that. And look, at this to me shows that Paul is saying, forgive. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. And I want you to welcome them. I don't want you to hold crutches. I want you to welcome them. Jesus was also called justice, so I hope you understand. So justice also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. See, none of us are going to be at the top of our game all the time. Life sometimes just plain has its way with us. And if you're a part of a team, isn't it just so wonderful that maybe if you're in a low spot, that you can call me or you can call somebody that you know and trust. I got a gal that I say to her more more often, now, you've come to me, right? Okay, then, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what you need, not what you want. Pray that you've got someone like that in your life. That because when you're in a situation and you can feel yourself, you can feel self taking over and you can feel yourself sinking, I hope you, you can call them and say, oh, do I need a pep talk? Tell me what I need, not what I want to hear. And I hope that I can do the same to you. That we're a part of this body of Christ. Life takes you up and down and all over the place. And we need each other. Paul says that they proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you. I believe he was probably the one that started that church. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. See, if he's the leader of that little flock, and he knows that this, these false teachers are coming in, I bet he is wrestling in prayer. And if you've ever wrestled in prayer, you know that that's on your knees. That's sometimes sweating. That sometimes is begging the Lord. That is sometimes weeping because you care so much. And he's saying, Epaphras, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. This is what he wants for you, that you stand firm in all the will of God so that you'll keep maturing and that you're fully assured that no matter what's happening in your life, tomorrow morning you can sing blessed assurance, that you're fully assured You're so sure. I vouch for him and he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and here Apollos. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas. Oh, there's the one, Demas. 2 Timothy 4. Paul is listing again his team. And he feels so bad because Demas left him. He forsook Paul. And he went on to what pleased him. 
give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. I like that, didn't you? Nympha. I don't think Paul's putting down women. He's saying, he's saying, no, in fact, just the opposite. Give my greetings to Nympha. She's willing to have church in her house. She's a strong lady. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And then finally, tell Archippus. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work. See, Paul's got something about that word complete. And it's because Paul doesn't like doing a job halfway. It's Paul that said, I completed, I've completed my run. I've completed, I've finished the course. He says, tell, tell him, see to it, don't give up. If, when it gets tough, don't give up. You complete the work you have received in the Lord. And then he closes this letter. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hands. I don't think it has to be any clearer than I, I didn't even take the time to let someone else do it. I said to Paphras, give me a pencil. It might not be the best handwriting in the world, but I want them to hear it straight from me. And then he says, remember my chains. If that's not him willing to admit, remember my chains. This isn't easy. Life isn't easy. That little phrase, what a reminder. Life might be hard for you. It might not be the way you expected. It might feel like you're in chains sometime. How do you handle that? If you feel like you're in chains, then life is so hard. He finishes it with this last phrase. Grace be with you. You can do anything in the power of his grace. Or I don't think he would have finished it that way. What a letter. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth. We took a long time tonight, but it was worth every minute. Every line, every word was so important. You had so many lessons here. Father, in the next few weeks before we start a new study, Father, may we be disciplined enough to go through this again. That we look at step one. That we really know, without doubt at all, that we've been to the cross. Jesus is our Savior, my Savior. That we understand that we can't do it unless we are lifting our Bible saying, this is God's word. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. So it's worth being in it every day. It's worth putting ourselves aside so that we can hear you. And then we look at chapter 3 and four, and we see that you expect a behavior because we represent you. 
And are we drawing people closer to you because of our lives, or are we pushing them farther away? This is such soul-searching stuff. And we are grateful for it. Revive us again. Fill each and every heart with your love. May each and every soul be rekindled tonight with fire, the power of your word that came from heaven tonight. Father, we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.